0: For our first message today, we have a split sermon from Mr. Art Williams entitled, The Enemy That Is Complacency. Mr. Williams. Second Peter 3, 4 and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Complacency. I think we all know the story of cooking a frog. Frog is placed in a pot of warm water. The stove is turned on and the water begins to heat up and the frog stays there in the comfort of the warm water until it is cooked. The frog fails to realize that the warm, comfortable water is the enemy. A nation, a church, or a man can be cooked to destruction in the same way. We can, become, we can become complacent. Everything is the same as it was since the beginning. The problem is things aren't the same as it was, and we can't see it. Changes occur over millennium, centuries, and in our lifetime. The resulting cultures and society develop that are in place at the time of our birth, and it is the culture and the society that we know, the culture and society we become conditioned to. And it is within that framework that we develop. I wish I had a DVD from the time that I was born until today, and on that DVD would be a movie that would show the changes that have taken place in our nation. Changes that demonstrate our nation's departure from Christian values, beliefs, and ethics, and embracing the folly, the corruption, demon worship, occult practices taught in the form of entertainment, the unjust legal and court system, and the list goes on and on and on, and so does the nation and the world for now. My purpose is to stimulate situational awareness by re- reviewing what we once were to what we have become, and what the world is and always has been and continues to be. Several years ago, there was a poll conducted to ascertain the percent of American population that regularly attends Christian churches. The initial result was 42%. However, it was quickly determined that the poll contained an error. When the error had been corrected and the poll rerun, the number turned out to be 26%. Approximately one out of every four persons you will meet. Of course, the next obvious question is what version of Christianity do they subscribe to and do they practice it? And is it the truth? But we have witnessed a very large decline to only 26% regularly attend Christian services from what was originally being experienced at the start of our nation. Did you know that the U.S. Capitol building was and is to this day a church? And it was declared so by the Congress? On December 4, 1800, Congress approved the use of the Capitol building as a church building. The cornerstone for the Capitol had been laid on September 18, 1793. Two years later, while still under construction, the, the July 2nd, 1795, Federal Orery Newspaper of Boston reported, City of Washington, June 19th. It is with much pleasure that we discover the rising consequence of our infant city. Public worship is now regularly administered at the Capitol at 11 o'clock by Mr. Ralph. The reason for the original use of the Capitol as a church might be explained by the fact that there were no churches in the city at that time. Even a decade later, in 1803, U.S. Senator John Quincy Adams confirmed there is no church of any domin- denomination in this city. Now, in 1837, there were 22 churches of brick and mortar, yet, even after the churches became proliferating across the city, religious services still were conducted at the Capitol well after the Civil War and into Reconstruction, which is approximately 1877. John Quincy Adams, in his diary, further concludes or verifies that not only was the Capitol building used for services, but an additional facility was. From John Quincy Adams' diary, attended public services at the Capitol, where Mr. Rattoon from Baltimore preached a sermon. Second entry. Religious service is usually performed at the Treasury office and at the Capitol. I went to both afternoon and forenoon services at the Treasury. That's where we were then. Today, things have changed. I have before me an article taken from the Tulsa World. It says, under the religion section, all souls welcome. All souls welcome. The caption beneath the picture says, church adds morning services for atheists. That leads itself to some very interesting questions, doesn't it? Not at all, says the reverend, quote, reverend, Marlon Havenhoff, Heavenhar, who this fall started a special service for non-theists at All Souls unitarian church these are people who are not inspired to live their lives a certain way by ideas of god or scriptures but who have the same human needs for community compassion meaning and making the significant passages of birth coming of age marrying and death lavender said, and said that his church started the humanist service in September, partly in response to the rapid growth of atheism in our society. The fastest growing religious segment of our society are those who call themselves non-religious. Levinhaar said the new service at 8.30 in the morning usually draws about 200, has drawn as many as 280 people but averages between 100 and 200. On recent Sunday service had no invocation to God, no congregational hymns, no scripture reading, no prayer, no benediction. Instead of opening with, this is the day of the Lord, it opened with, this is the day not of your own making. He said he does not believe in Christian orthodoxy, that Jesus Christ was truly God in the flesh. But he says he has no dispute with people who have found life-changing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He said developing a relationship with God is at the heart of what all souls is about. But he believes that Jesus is only one of many paths to that relationship. And that the Bible is not the only revelation of God's truth. A new 8.30 a.m. atheistic service reflects humanism, which was popular during World War II and was previously known under the term secular humanism, and we'll come back to that in a minute, where there is no God and that humans are ultimately responsible for the fate of mankind. By bringing people together, such a wide diversity of people, we're really trying to bring harmony, unity and peace to the world and to be an example and a model of that for the world. There's always been an aspiration in humanity to see ourselves as one human family and to get along in a way that fosters peace. If you can find a very interesting and very overt minister who would like to stir the pot a bit in a political leader that would like to stir the pot a bit, they should get together and plan to hold church services in the Capitol building because it's still a church. Do you think that might just cause a bit of a row in Washington? I heard a couple of interesting quotes this past week. One of them was well today but arguing over the budget problems and the deficit, it's like two men arguing over the bar tab while they're on the Titanic. (laughs) Seems quite apropos. Secular humanism is not dead, it's quite alive and I'm gonna just reference you to the internet if you wanna look it up. It is exactly what this Unitarian Church is talking about. All the the good, outstanding virtues that they strive to achieve while simultaneously dialing got out of it. Um, I want to go on now and just show you some of the development and this is... I got so tied up in so many organizations, governmental and financial, it is amazing. I ended up doing a search just on multi-government organizations. I came up with seven pages of them about 40 per page 280 multi-government organizations. And keep this in mind, it's important. The United Nations is listed as one singular entity. This does not include all the organizations that are under the auspices of the United Nations. These are others. So there's about, I don't know, almost 300 of them there. But then I went to financial institutions. I only got 34 on the financial institutions. Of course, everybody's heard about the World Bank. But you know, the World Bank has a specific charter. And that's to help poverty nations and help nations that have experienced a disaster. So they really are an investment bank or facility. Okay? But there's more than just the World Bank. There's also the World Bank Group. Okay, And both of those have multiple institutions under their domain. And then, of course, is the IMF, whose duty is to bail out bankrupt nations. But besides them, you have the IFC, the IDA, the IA, the MIGA, the GATT, the IBD, the ECB, the EIB, the IIBC, the IDB, the NIB, the EFSS, the EFSE, the EFSA, the IOR, the APEC, the BIS, the OCED, the WEF, IIF, and the IIE. For a few. But the oneness spoken of in that minister's Unitarian Church is indeed going on. It's going on in many fashions. I'm going to first read excerpts from an article from 2007 by Dinas Magnola under the auspices of One World Order, the Transatlantic Economic Integration, Part 22. May 13, 2007. The transatlantic agenda was adopted on December 3, 1995, signed for by then President William Clinton. Follow-up summit was on June 2005, where they launched the initiative to enhance transatlantic economic integration and growth. Here comes the significant part of all of this. In the magazine Foreign Affairs, which is a publication, I believe, of the Council of Foreign Relations, had this to say. Listen closely. The world economic and the international financial system have evolved in such a way that there is no longer a viable model for economic development outside of them. Another way to put that, if you want economic development you must be within the confines of the world economic and international financial systems. You cannot be on the outside of it. It went on to say the right course is not to return to a mythical past of monetary sovereignty with governments controlling local interest and exchange rates in blissful ignorance of the rest of the world Governments must let go of the fatal notion that nationhood requires them to make and control the money used in their territory. National currencies and global markets simply don't mix. Together they make a deadly brew of currency crisis and geopolitical tensions and create pretexts for damning protectionism. In order to globalize safely, countries should abandon monetary nationalism and abolish unwanted currencies. I've got an article, another article. It's from the Council for Justice and Peace, and it came out in 2011. I'm going to get to that in a minute. It is significant because these are political leaders talking. These are political leaders. But before I go to that, I want to interject something. Because it has to do with the philosophy about what's going on. And I've never heard of this man before. I read this article. Reggie probably has. Hegelian dialectic terms. Have you heard of that, Reggie? No, you haven't? Okay. Hegelian was a German philosopher of the late 1700s. And basically his philosophy came up matter and mind and through dialogue we can have unity. And if we understand diversity and contradiction, we can make everything be a success. Does that sound like a win-win situation? Does it sound like, well, we don't don't want anybody to lose in the Little League team, so we're going to give them the fifth runner-up trophy. It's thesis and anti-thesis. It's owning both sides ensures success, like owning both political parties. If you've talked to any investment advisors in the last decade, they probably may have said to you, well, invest in this fund over here, because you can't lose money because it's insured. Oh, and don't worry about the validity of the insurance company because that insurance company, that's insured by a reinsurer. So you can't lose, you see. There isn't isn't an insurance company around that's big enough to cover the potential losses that the stock market can bring in totality. And a lot of those reinsurers have since uh, backed out of that game. But I want to move on now about four years after that 2007 transatlantic economic integration information to the Council for Justice and Peace because the Council for Justice and Peace in October 2004 released a 20 page timely document that was released intentionally about three weeks before the G20 meeting that year because they wanted the G20 men to have a copy of what they put out. Oh, I forgot to mention the Council for Justice and Peace is a pontifical council of the Vatican. I'm going to read some excerpts from it. A leading financial expert is backing the Vatican's proposal for a global financial authority, reports the Catholic news agency. It is right for the Vatican to set out a marker of how the world should and perhaps sometimes could be, Edward Hadas remarked to CNA. CNA is the Catholic News Agency. Hadas' comments follows the October 24th publication of a 20-page document by which the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace advocated a new global authority which, it hopes, can make economic decisions based on the international common good rather than the individual national interests. Haras goes on to say, at the same time, I believe it encourages the exercise of human freedom and discourages authoritarian control. Where's his brain at? Have you ever seen a governmental, even if it's a religious governmental uh, authority, exercise human freedom and not have authoritarian control? But he goes on, Hadas noted that while the G20 countries have already considered a financial transaction tax and new rules on investment banking, much of the rest in the Vatican proposal, while attractive and, this is interesting, theologically sound, what are his qualifications for saying it's theologically sound, seems distanced from the thinking of the world leaders at this time. So this is not something that's going to happen. But this important point, the important point is The seed has been planted and it's been planted by the institution that is going to have a vital part in what happens. Excerpts from another reporting source. This is from Reuters out of the UK. The Vatican called for the establishment of a supranational authority with worldwide scope and universal jurisdiction, that's in quotes, to guide economic policies and decisions. Such an authority should start at the United Nations as a reference point, but later become independent and be endowed with the power to see to it that developed countries were not allowed to wield excessive power over weaker nations. Of course, this transformation will be made at the cost of a gradual, balanced transfer of a part of each nation's power to a world authority and to regional authorities. Interesting. There's more on it. I won't spend any more time on it here. If you want to do a search on it, Vatican proposal for Global Bank will get you numerous sites Um, And I want to go back to something that I referenced in Branson in my message up there Because it illustrates how The Religious prophet or the false religious Entity, at the end time, can control, buy and sell. If we go to, you can reference this in Revelation 13, 16 through 18, where it says, if you don't have the mark, you can't buy and sell. And I want to bring this to everybody here, even though it's redundant to some of you that were at Branson. This is also an article out of the Tulsa World. I feel like I'm doing commercials for Tulsa World today. It says, dodging religion taxed costly. Dodging the religious, religion tax. Did you know some nations have a religion tax? It's out of Berlin. The road to heaven is paid with more than good intentions for Germany's 24 million Catholics. If they don't pay the religious taxes, they will be denied sacraments, including weddings, baptisms, and funerals. A decree issued last week by the country's bishops casts a spotlight on the long-standing practice in Germany and a handful of other European nations. It's actually eight nations, I looked it up, in which government tax reg, governments tax registered believers and then hand the money over to the religious institutions. In Germany, Catholics, Protestants, and Jews pay a surcharge of about 9%. And this illustrates how the religious beast mentioned in Revelation 13 can exercise the power of the first beast, which is the political beast. We have an example of it. Right here, the church is exercising the power of the state, and they're both willing that it should be that way. I want to go to something that we don't talk about too much now. The word Catholic, the definition of the word Catholic, is universal. The term came into use after the schism that separated that church into the Western Church, which took the name Catholic, and the Eastern Church, which took the name Orthodox. We do realize, don't we, that Vatican isn't a city. It is a city-state one of three city-states in the whole world. It has 81 embassies, a mission to the Palestinian Authority, and a a small cluster of what they call accredited embassies. The pope is both a political and a religious leader. Says in Revelation 13 that the religious leader makes an image to the beast. There are many ways in which that can be accomplished. The image can be organizationally. But it all can be, also can be in practices. For example, the Roman Empire had emperor worship. The Roman Universal Church has pope worship. The Roman Empire persecuted Christians. The Roman Universal Church persecuted Christians. The Roman Universal Church inserts their priest between the parishioner and God by having them ask forgiveness from the priest rather than God the Father. Additionally, they call their priest Father. Matthew 23, 9. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. There is a preponderance of evidence, and even though we don't see them very active today. They are still there. I have two books at home. One is called The Vicar of Christ. It was an international bestseller in 1988. It was written by Peter de Rosa, a former priest. and He goes through the dark side of the papacy. There's another book called The Vatican and its political influence. It was written in 1949 and it covers the period from 1900 to 1945. You don't hear very much about the activities of the Catholic Church during World War II, but they were there. They viewed secular humanism as the biggest threat to Christianity at the turn of the century. But the time the First World War got around they viewed communism and the revolt, especially in Russia, as being the biggest threat. So when fascism developed, they took the side of fascism, and they supported fascism, and they tried to control and manipulate Hitler. But Hitler was kind of a cagey guy. Oh, yeah, I'll agree to that. I'll agree to that. I'll agree to that. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, I agreed with that with you? I can't control my guys. Look, at hey, they're Jews. No, they, if, if they're friends with Jews, they've got to go too. There were agreements that not to put Catholics in concentration camps, treat the Catholic people different. Priests were murdered whole bit but here's the thing the Pope never exercised the power of the Third Reich he never did that significant little point in Revelation 13 11 and 18 18 specifically it talks about 666 being applied to the false prophet not the political beast. That's important, the false prophet, not the political beast. The false prophet is being talked about from verse 11 to the end of that chapter. The political beast is talked about in the first section of Revelation 13, and that ends at verse 10. So the false prophet has the number 666. The term Vicar of Christ came into use by Pope Gregory VII. Before that, the title was Vicar of St. Peter. But Pope Gregory, he changed a lot of those policies during the short 12-year reign from 1073 to 1085. Now we have to make sure we're clear on this. This was Pope Gregory the not Pastor Gregory I. <laughs> Don't want to get those two mixed up. Vicar of Christ in Latin adds up to 666. in case nobody knew that. If you want the details on it, I can supply it to you. Also, the original Roman numerals, there's seven Roman numerals in the world today, okay? There's D, C, L, X, V, I, and M. That's seven. But originally there weren't seven. There were only six. If you take those six, D, C, L, X, V, I, forget the M, it adds up to 666. The beast and the image of the beast, the beast, Roman Empire, 666 in the Roman numerals, and the false prophet, Vicar of Christ, 666, the Roman universal church. There are a number of other terms that add up to 666. And I won't take the time to go into those now. I had an instructor in world history class back in high school. And he says that world events happen for two reasons, political and economic. And this book right here confirms that. and adds a third, and that's religion. And what's politics about? Power and control. And what's economics about? Wealth. The direction of the world is to achieve oneness, cloaked in Hegelian philosophy and secular humanism. The integration of politics, economics, and religion will be tools by which they will seek to achieve this great utopian unity. And non-subscribers to the program will be outcast. In the end, we know what happens to this political economic system, symbolically referred to as Babylon in Revelation eighteen, it is destroyed. Revelation eighteen twenty-four. <clears throat> but it's greater than that, because if you go to Revelation sixteen nineteen we find out, Revelation sixteen nineteen, we find out all of the cities will fall. The great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. So Babylon isn't just one city. You know it's it's funny some people they want to say oh it's New York. Do you realize more money flows through London than exchanges hands on Wall Street? More money changes hands on the Chicago Board of Ch- Trade than changes mon- hands on Wall Street. When Sandy struck New York and all the offices up there were shut down, when the CEO of Goldman Sachs, the largest investment bank in the world, was asked, oh, how badly is it going to affect your economics, your money for the year? He said, it's probably not going to affect us at all. We have offices around the world. The question that I have for you is, as we see this day approaching, Are we ready? Hebrews 10.5 says, not forsaking, breaking into a thought here in the middle of it, Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What we've just gone through and covered was some of the events that are transpiring that are propelling this day and and while it's not going to happen tomorrow or next month or next year it is going to happen at some time but seeing the day approaching and readying the signs are worthless if we not respond to the things spiritually lacking within us Some, in the past and currently, have been and are so obsessed with watching world events, developing their own personal story flows, complete with all the answers as to who, what, where, when, why, and how, presented in a state of, sometimes, emergency fear-mongering that can cause people to make wrong decisions in their life. But some of these scenarios read more like a novel or a movie script. They're comprised of gross speculations about things yet to be revealed. Our intellectual speculation on how current events might play out to fulfill prophecy does not accomplish its purpose if it does not motivate us to clean up our act and remove our spiritual deficiencies. The purpose in seeing this day approaching is to motivate us to see our shortcomings and do something about it. One point of evaluation, 1 John 3, 18 through 22. 1 John 3, 18 through 22. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. If our heart condemns us, then we've got some issues. We need to be sensitive to our heart. We face the future. We can be complacent about it and allow Babylon's society to absorb our lives with all its appeals, obligations, and fascinations of this life that can distract us from him. And then we will face the future fearfully, or we can act decisively now to seek him and establish ourselves with him beyond any doubt so we can walk confidently through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because he is with us.